listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. But we're glad to be here and good to enjoy the weather. But we're here for more than just weather. As you know, uh, a year ago, we came down with the hopes of my wife receiving a new knee. And because of doctor issues and a lot of insurance and things like that, it was a scramble. So we planned it for this year. And now my wife is now sporting two brand new titanium knees. Now, it's going to be a little while before she recovers completely, and because of that, we're held up here in therapy and doctor's appointments, and it just seems to take a long time to get things done. She started working on this again back in the fall, but finally got everything, and we got the, uh, the go signal, and six weeks ago, she had her first knee, and then uh, here a couple of weeks ago, she got the second knee. Now, uh, I come in, is it all right to make a little complaint here? Al was picking on me a while ago. As I come in, he was picking on me and said, well, preacher, you're going to have to knock some rust off. You've been taking it easy too long now. Does that sound like Al? Okay. This thing of rust, uh, I don't know, being in Alaska and around Fishermen and loggers and the ruffian types, they have more artificial parts than you can probably shake a knee at. And so one of these guys hobbling around just got a new hip or a knee or something. And I said, you know, buddy, guys like you make it hard on the preacher. He said, what do you mean? I said, I used to say ashes to ashes and dust to dust. I can't do that anymore. I have to say ashes to ashes, and in this modern day of dust to dust, and in this modern day of surgery, you're going to turn to rust. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to change my ways on this rust stuff because my wife has titanium knees, and I think she can kick a little harder after this is over with. We enjoy ourselves, try to, and welcome the opportunity to speak and visit and we love what we do, and it is necessary to take a break, see a little bit different. Uh, piece of real estate, enjoy some sunshine, see some different people, and to be encouraged. Hey, right over here, I've got my family, Beth and Nathan, and two of the grandkids. Uh, what'd you do with Owen and Zachary? Oh, they're back there. All right. Uh, fair warning, I pick on you guys. I will pick on you guys. Okay, that's fair game. But in uh, the things that we do, we have a small church, and we have a heart for Alaska, but not just Wrangell Island, but for Alaska. And we're praying and asking the Lord to lead us and bless us and direct us and guide us. And when you go through transition, there's always bumps and things along the way. And this past year has been bumpy. Uh, we did really good with the COVID stuff. Was able to stay away from most of that. And yes, we had to close down for a while, as you folks did here but we did so well until on Easter Sunday, somebody came to church sick. And I know you've had your things that you've dealt with. And then a few days later, a bunch of people in church, over half the church was sick. 
And if, thank goodness it's been the flu or the colds or whatever. A lot of those things that end up pegging positive on uh, the corona test. But nevertheless, good report. Things will be better and everybody's doing good. But we have our things that we must deal with. Uh, but Alaska is our heart and our calling. And before we left, our church attendance was up. That, that's encouraging. And it's good to see the pews full. It was an excellent Sunday here on Easter to see uh, our church here. That was pretty close to capacity. And that's exciting. And we look for more days like that. But let me say as well, in regard to Hannah's Place, Hannah's Place is alive and well, doing well, continuing to work with uh, young mothers and ladies that are expecting and young fathers. And anybody needs some encouragement, Hannah's Place is a good place for them to go to and show up and to be encouraged in good things. But it's not just about babies and pregnant ladies. It's an opportunity for the gospel message to be shared with each and every one of these young people. We can hinder the abortion rate seriously, but unless each and every family person hears the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see what we do is very short-lived. And for that reason, we need to not only uh, win the mother, we need to win the family and point them to the road where they too become disciples of our Lord and Savior and where they too follow Him and break this vicious cycle. The good news is this year Alaska reported for 2020 that the abortion rate is down like a, a third from what it was 10, 12 years ago. And 10, 12 years ago, it started a steady decline, but long in there is when places like Hannah's Place started showing up and offering to young people an alternative to what had been dictated to them throughout southeast Alaska and other parts, what seemed to be, to me, a must. And it's not necessary. There's other ways. There's better ways that don't leave the guilt and the heartache that comes along with abortion. This morning, I'd like for you to take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And Pastor Kevin asked me to continue on in his message of Luke chapter 6. And I kind of do my own thing and go in my own direction a lot of times, and we all figure out things to the best of our ability. But in Luke chapter 6, it's been an interesting lesson, an interesting story in the Lord Jesus, and what we see has its roots in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, in Luke chapter 6, you're going to see in verse 43, for a good tree uh, bringeth forth not corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bringeth, uh, bringeth forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For the thorns, for of thorns, men do not gather figs, nor bramble bush gather they grapes. But in, ver, in verse 45, it goes on to say, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. We look at the end of this chapter, and there are two illustrations given to us 
that illustrate this chapter or what is found back in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's like uh, Luke didn't go into all the details of the Sermon on the Mount. He just hits some of the highlights of that. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he has this story of a builder and building his house upon the sand. Anybody house here built on the sand? Do you have a choice? Not really. That's an issue. Uh, Alaska, they build a lot of their places and establishments. I'm going to call them stilts or whatever. But they drive telephone poles into the ground, and that becomes the framework. There, you either have to fill the bottomless pit or move the impossible mountain to do any type of construction. It's just a lot of rock or the other thing is what they call muskeg. You know that little bitty hole of water about so big, you step into that, can never be seen again. It's just the way it works out. But there are two illustrations here. And of course, we know the illustration with uh, building on the sand of the rock. We're supposed to build our house on the right, the rock, something of substance. And what is that rock? The teachings and principles that we find in the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord Jesus has assembled his new disciples. There are others there that are, have gathered around. And when you have a new team that is gathered, usually there is some type of a orientation of basic principles and directions that we're going to agree to, that we're going to do. And on top of that, we pick up on those excellent principles to govern and direct our lives. And we're going to review some of these things here. But in these illustrations, and the one I'm really interested in, is the fruit tree. The fruit tree. Now, people, they like to talk about being fruit inspectors. No, we're not going to judge, but we are fruit inspectors. I think they missed the point there too, but we'll get into that a little later on. Fruit. Now, of the things that I have done, I qualify to be a fruit inspector. You say, what are you talking about? Just out of high school? Or while I'm in high school, should I say, I work in the grocery store. And somewhere in the process, the boss liked my work, and he says, hey, Doug, go back to the produce and try your hand. It might come in handy one of these days. And so, since then, I've worked in several stores around the country, here and there, and I always end up in the produce department, and I have some quirky, perky ideas about the produce section. But I learn how to be a fruit inspector in veggies, and I like working with fruits and veggies and nuts. Uh, yeah, we, we, we don't want to get off the literal here. Uh, but nevertheless, I think you get the idea. Fruit inspector. Let me give you a quick, couple of quick ideas. When you pick up a box of strawberries, make sure they're fresh. And that's pretty obvious. If it has mold or rot or whatever, put them back down. You don't want those. How many here are concerned about what they call white shoulders? 
Ooh, it doesn't look like it's ripe. Don't worry about that. And what are you talking about? Produce, I sell a lot of red, red, red strawberries. They are sweet. They look great. No taste. But you know why they buy them? Because they look good. If you can't smell it, you can't taste it. That make good sense? Pineapple. One of these things that drives some produce managers crazy is they pick up a pineapple and they want to pull the thing out of the top. Well, they told us in Hawaii, if, if we pull this thing out and it pops, that means it's ripe. Horse feathers. Pick it up and smell. And if it smells good, it's going to... Hey, we're on the same page. And it's also going to be really gold and such. And we can go into oranges. And somebody says, oh, I don't want to spend that much money. So they go through the orange rack picking up lightweight oranges. If you want a deal, pick up smaller oranges. Oranges and melons take on a lot of water. Therefore, they're going to be heavy. And you don't. And if you're going to complain about the price, you're, you're, you shouldn't even be considering it. Because these things are supposed to be heavy. And we could go into tomatoes and a lot of other things here. But there's some really good things. But you know, this passage of Scripture is not about inspecting fruit. At least other people's fruit. Now let's talk here for a little bit about the things that we see here. All right, chapter 6 reflects, Luke chapter 6 reflects uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there's some differences here, and don't stress over the differences, because Matthew and Luke, uh, as the pastor has elaborated on, were two entirely different men with two entirely different callings and of different ages, as I understand. Matthew writes sooner, Luke writes later. And they have different perspectives of the things that have taken place of being in and around the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew gives more detail in his writing about the Sermon on the Mount. So who wrote the most in the Bible? Who wrote the most words? Who? Old Testament 2. I'm cheating on you here. Moses. Who wrote the second most in Scripture? Oh, this is a testy question. Ezra. And you get into the history books there. But then who writes the third most in Scripture? Paul, you're still wrong. Luke. When you add the writings and the works of Luke together between Luke and the book of Acts, he writes like, more than 5,000 more words than the Apostle Paul did. Paul wrote more books. Paul had more influence on the local New Testament church. And then we have other writers like John that comes in at, I think, seventh place or whatever. Paul is in the fifth place. And King David, where did he fall in at? 
doesn't make the top 10. He's number 11. So these are interesting quirks and factoids of Scripture, but they are interesting to know because these things end up directing how we think uh, about God's Word. And because somebody wrote more doesn't make them more important, but on the other hand, it does reflect something about how God was using them. In the principles that we see in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord Jesus establishes his, his lordship, his authority, his God-given authority. And he illustrates this by performing a miracle on the Sabbath, and then there is the eating that takes place on the Sabbath. And he is quickly challenged by the religious sects of that time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And you know the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, don't you? It has to do with the resurrection here. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? Absolutely. The Pharisees believed in supernatural stuff like the resurrection. The Sadducees did not. They did not believe in the resurrection, so... Okay. Uh, a little thing to help you remember. But these are some of the things that is covered as... Luke is picking up on the address that the Lord Jesus would give in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's encouraging people in his historic writing here, and then he'll go into the writing of Acts as well. But of the things that are covered, the twelve apostles are called, and as I said earlier, I think this is their first big assembly. Good info. Having living issues? Go back and spend some time reading Luke chapter 6, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. You pick up on things about divorce. You pick up on things of how to pray, how to treat one another. And the issue of judging other people is discussed. These things are important. The Beatitudes. Pastor Kevin hit a particular point that uh, important, extra important to me, because we all deal with sadness. And the statement made in Luke chapter 6, those that weep, they shall laugh. Those that mourn, Matthew, shall be comforted. And this could be expressed in several different ways. But these are the hopes. Now, we're talking about the fruit trees and them producing good fruit. But this is some, a summation of the things that we have seen taking place. There is a warning issued to the rich. Once again, how many people here are rich? Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope you're rich and have an abundance of the things that are in the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ and the promises that we take from God's Word. I hope you're rich in those things. We as Americans, even though according to our governmental standards might be impoverished compared to the rest of the world, You've got it made. One step across the southern border and you'll find out. 
you'll find out. We have things here only people dream of. And we need to thank our God every day in spite of the great troubles we might face. We have much. But there's a warning issued to the rich, and that warning that is issued to the rich can be directed to, at us. And this word rich simply means full. Full. Careful if you're full of yourself. Careful if you're full of yourself. And in these points that we pick up here, one is illustrated with children being full. Time for supper. I'm not hungry. You should be hungry. Well, I've got this stash under my bed. (laughs) Whatever it might be. And they fill themselves on all the things that good moms and dads would not have their children filling themselves up with. Now, let me tell a story on uh, my family over here. I'm Grandpa. I take Grandpa privileges. My grandkids have no idea what to think. My son and my daughter-in-law have no idea what's going on. That's what grandparents do. And we're talking in in the discussion, Twinkies come up. And one of my grandkids says, what's a Twinkie? <laughs> Beth, this is a left-handed compliment, but good job. <laughs> you filled them up on the good stuff. Grandpa, he's going a different direction on this. We fill up spiritually, but it's television, it's the internet, it's all the games, and we have no appetite for the things that are so necessary and vital to us spiritually. You're rich? Yeah, rich, full of the wrong things. A warning is issued. This warning is a little broader application than I think what most people take it. But this is an important thing when we get to these fruit trees in just a little bit. There's a warning issued about being held in high regard. I'm not talking about simple respect, decent, honest people. Uh, Years ago when the Turks were in Wrangell working in the canneries, uh, different questions had come up, and they had this way of coming to me because we had made this contact. And the question repeatedly, is so-and-so an honorable person? Something in their customs and their culture, they were asking me, can they be trusted? Are these people fair? What is their track history? Just looking to survive in a different world. When we talk about people being held in high regard, the point has been made here about the priest. They really enjoyed their praying times. They really enjoyed the robes and the things that they wore. They really enjoyed a little too much that social status. And yes, I do believe people need to be held in high regard But on the other hand, 
We're all saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And without the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to go into eternity for a very long time without hope. And in that reality, we're all the same. And when it comes to the things of the church, we may have different offices and functions inside this particular assembly, but we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves us all the same, and He gave the same price for you as He gave for me. He loved us that much. We're told to be careful about holding or wanting to be held in high regard. And the point here I would make is be more concerned about what Jesus thinks of you. Now, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about this. Judge not, lest you be judged. And in this strange twist of things, it's ironic, it's hypocritical. The whole idea of wanting to hold people in a high regard or wanting to be held in high regard, high regard, you are then asking people to do what? In essence, judge you. And you get into some of these things and it gets so twisted and so turned around. But we'll come back here in just a minute. We see the golden rule mentioned. Matthew goes into more detail. And somebody said, it wasn't the silver rule. The golden rule is doing to others as you would have others. Now, the silver rule is doing to others as others have done to you. The iron rule, you want that one? Doing to others before they do unto you. It wasn't the platinum rule. Just do good. No, that's not what the Lord gave here. Because we're not supposed to be a bunch of goody two-shoes. We're supposed to be real people that love the Lord Jesus Christ, that are interested in serving Him and setting and establishing a standard and encouraging others to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That is who we are as a people. And if we're not in this evangelistic effort working together to win the the world, to win our family, to win our neighbors, to win our fellow employees to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we get into what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let a man examine himself. We can go on with that. Being merciful is a directive of God. It's not a suggestion. Be ye merciful. Be ye merciful. We are to show mercy in each and every aspect and quality of our life, in our family and around our co-workers and around our neighbors. We are supposed to be willing to endure some things in regard to this thing of being able to show mercy. In Luke chapter 6, another idea that comes from Matthew is this thing about judging others. Judge not, lest you be 
if there is another misquoted verse in Scripture, uh, it would be close to this one. And it rates right up there with what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 5.23, quoted by many Alaskans. Take a little wine for your... Everybody likes to quote that verse in Alaska because we have the loggers and the fishermen and so many others that... And what they don't realize is they're taking Scripture so far out of context, they don't understand what they've said. Because what is said by Paul to Timothy is referencing medicinal things. And the Alaskans are trying to justify what they call good old drinking whiskey or whatever. Different critter. Deliberate misunderstanding or twisting of Scripture trying to justify their own poor choice. Listen to a guy basically quote Matthew chapter 7, 1, and he said, I'm okay and you're okay. I guess we're all okay. And what he was doing in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, was missing the point and the intent of what Matthew and Luke had recorded the Lord Jesus saying. And he's running off the road on one side, while a lot of people are running off the road on the other side. Matthew 7 verse 1 and Luke chapter 6 is not about mutual toleration. Mutual justification. They've missed the point. As the Lord Jesus speaks to his disciples, he did not want them to follow in the way of the common religion of that era, that area was. And that is the self-righteous, judgmental, critical attitude When it comes to winning the lost and being concerned for other people that are around us, if we have a heart of compassion, and I did use the word if, that critical and judgmental thinking is not going to help. You may think you're helping. Here, I don't know, something about getting older or whatever. I go to pick up something, and it's my bifocals, it's my judgment or something rather, and instead of picking up the bottle, I end up knocking off the table. I spend all my time picking things up off the floor. And the very thing that you think you might want to be doing becomes a way of hindering and hurting evangelism. And the Lord Jesus tells his new followers, this is not the way. This is not the way. And he warns them that as you judged, you shall be judged. Picked up years ago, uh, there are ways that a, somebody in the meat department or in the produce department can cheat customers. You realize that? There are people that actually do this stuff. Now, the butcher may have a heavy thumb when it comes time to weigh up the sausage. The point being made here 
You don't buy on one set of scales and sell on another. Because you have an unfair standard that has a way of hopping up, coming up here. In John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, the Lord Jesus spells it out in regard to this thing of judging. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be what? Saved. That is our purpose. That is our direction. That is evangelism. But yet, Christian believers think they're doing right by setting themselves up as judges. The Lord Jesus goes on in this chapter, or John chapter 3. It's an important and vital chapter. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. There is no need repeating what's something that has already been established and taken care of. And the reason they're condemned already is because they have not received Christ as their only Savior. Jesus is the answer. He has always been the answer. He was promised back in Genesis chapter 3. And that reference to the Lord Jesus children of God. We're loved by God. Our purpose is not to make people religious. In this thing of being judgmental and critical, we have an interesting way of usurping the authority of God's Word, the Holy Spirit, at least toward the lost world. And when we judge others, we use a double standard. You say, no, I don't. No, I don't. That argument. A guy by the name of Dwight Morrow, he was a senator and... Uh, U.S. ambassador, had to do with some stuff between the U.S. and Mexico about 100 years ago. He said an interesting thing. We judge others by their actions. And we judge ourselves by our motives or intentions. Do you not? Listening to some preachers that got into an argument. I wasn't sitting at their table, thank goodness. They're talking about judging one another. And the one said, you just judge me because you think I judge somebody else. Funny coffee hour. But he made an interesting point. Yes, Scripture talks about judging but it's primarily about judging ourselves. We'll be judged by the same standard 
that we judge others. We go back to that thing of being gracious, letting your words be sweet. Let your words be sweet, for one day you may have to eat them. Matthew chapter 16 says, the Lord Jesus makes a statement, I will build my church. We get to Matthew chapter 18. The apostle Peter comes to him and says, I have an offense against my brother. What do I do? The Lord Jesus instructs him, and apparently Peter wasn't satisfied, and he finally said to him, take it to the church. Church was in existence when we get into Matthew chapter 18. Empowered when we get into Acts chapter 2. But it was already functioning between 16 and 18. Some interesting things come up when we get into this thing of the purpose of the church. And in the church, we are to be people and encourage one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 11. There is this emphasis upon self-examination. And there is something about having brothers and sisters in Christ around us. And the statement is made that iron sharpens iron. And when iron sharpens iron, guess what? There are going to be some sparks. Mark Lowry, we all know Mark Lowry, right? Made a funny song, Steel on Steel. Talking about real genuine fellowship. But if your friends are a bunch of yes people that are afraid to call you on something, I will suggest to you they're not really good friends. Because a good friend, as Mark Lowry's song says, will help you vacuum your carpet. And he goes on making fun and says, getting in your face. But that's the church and the fellowship. Families, they butt heads, but they love one another. And sometimes people bounce around because they have butted heads and they don't want to butt heads and neither do they want to change. There is something to be said about the illustration once again of this fruit tree or should I say a whole orchard of fruit trees. In the principles that we are given, the principles are, 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 that are connected to reciprocity. The principles are given to us in the idea of proper return. Judge and so be judged. Forgive and you shall be forgiven. Give and it shall be These are the principles that come from the Word of God. Galatians chapter 6 teaches us that we will reap what we sow. Interesting man, a few centuries ago, theologian, scientist, physicist, He says, for every action, there is an opposite and equal 
reaction. Sir Isaac Newton composed the, uh, a theology book. Now, we may not agree with his particular quirks and perks of Christianity, of one which he did not uh, under, uh, could not comprehend the Trinity in his thinking. But he had some basic fundamentals down about God's word. And I think he applied those to the realm of physics as well. There have been many believers over the years that have been connected to the scientific world as well. Ancient, more modern as well. Good godly people that have sound minds and do not buy into one is supposed to be science, but they're more interested in what you can set up in a lab and then repeat that experiment again. Viable science! Let's talk about the tree. Here we're told the tree produces fruit. And the fruit can be good or bad. He tells us about the builder. Rock or sand? This is a summation of what we see in this chapter. And it comes down to the tree. Where you build and the tree you plant. Or better yet, better to plant an orchard, like we said earlier. person has an orchard is going to have a lot of work. They're going to have a lot of fruit. They're going to have a lot of grapes. They're going to have a lot of apples, oranges, and a lot of other things. But there is something to be said about taking the principles of this chapter and letting these things govern your thinking. Matthew says, a person that adheres to these principles of the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to be like the man that built his house on the rock. When we look at the tree, good trees don't produce bad fruit. Bad trees don't produce good fruit. There are some realities here when we talk about the fruit trees. Of these realities, a tree is known by the fruit it produces. And there is nothing wrong with saying, I don't want that. I don't like that. Now, in the produce department, we'll go back here for another illustration. There are people that come in and they... Steel grapes. Can you imagine that? How many grape stealers do we have here? Don't hold, oh, there's an honest person here. Don't hold your hands up because you're not stealing, you're testing the grapes, right? You all know whether they're sour or uh, sweet. Had a kid would come into the department, take a bite out of the apple, and then throw the apple back on the rack. I have a special term for kids like that. My grandkids cringe. But uh, any attempt to fix that problem was 
uh, it's something about that look of her mother. <laughs> and just, I'm not tangling with that. Boss knows about it. Eleanor knows about it. It's not my fruit rack. I just work it. One day, this same little kid came in and grabbed up a mango. I was misled about mangoes. I finally got a hold of a good mango. To me, a really good mango tastes a whole lot more like a good peach. And I thought, there's just a lot of weird folks in this world. They like sweet pine cones because that's what it tastes like to me. And this child picked up this fruit that she thought was an apple and bit into it. And I just watched. Sweet pine cone, huh? And she didn't like it. Looked over at her mother and her mother. But no more troubles with that little kid picking up my apples. Something about the fruit we remember. We remember fig trees don't produce thorns. Brambles don't produce grapes. But now we see an application getting closer to us. Good men from the treasures of their good heart do good things. Good trees produce good fruit. Good men, good hearts, do good things. Now, the word man here, ladies, don't take offense. It means mankind. That means both men and women. How many here want to be good? Some of you want to be good. What about the rest of you? You want to be good. It's reasonable. I would encourage you to start planting trees of goodness. If you like sweet apples, plant Fuji. Red delicious, even though they're becoming a thing of the past. Golden delicious. So many kinds of sweet apples. Pink lady. Uh, On and on and on the list goes. And if you want the tart apple... Well, there's good old Granny Smith's. But don't plant Granny Smith's expecting it to taste like a Fuji. You're going to get sour apples. And it comes back to this principle of sowing what we reap. Whether it is delicious, the Golden Delicious, or the Granny Smith, what are you planting In this thing of planning, we're incorporating the principles of this chapter. I'm going to mention the name of Harry Bolbank. Nathan knows Harry. Uh, He went to be with the Lord here earlier part of this year. Old man, served the Lord all his life. His wife, Millie, passed away just a few days before he did. What a glorious older couple that gave much to the establishment and start of Word of Life in Scroon Lake, a worldwide ministry, wrote a book called Arrows to the Mark. It's about raising children. 
It's based on the principle that we find in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way they should go. The promise is offered. They'll not depart from it. What a promise! Modern society says, I'll let them figure out what they want to be. We don't want anybody to know whether they're male or female. We live in strange times. We need to establish good, healthy trees around us. Of those are our children. We need to put into them the good quality things, a sound education, a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, a love for godliness and decency, a quality, a work ethic in them that has to be nurtured. On the other hand, you can let them be whatever they want to be. I can take you to some apple trees. Nobody's done anything with them for a very long time. I know some plum trees and some peach trees just like that. In the hillbilly language, they ain't fit to eat. But with the good stuff, somebody has invested much. And they have the reward of their labor. you have good kids how many times have people walked up to you and say you're so lucky me I'm thinking I'm not so polished and sweet as some of you are I'm thinking you're so no it's dedication it's work There's pruning and fertilizing and cultivating and on and on and on. It just doesn't happen. You're planting good trees. And then those qualities that are in your life, those things you keep feeding, comes back to the old Indian analogy, white dog and a black dog. You're in a fight, which one's going to win? Come on, you feed. Come on, you feed. Train up a child. Proverbs 23 says something very similar. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Did that connect? As you think, The Apostle Paul, in this thing of self-discipline and encouragement, and as I've told other people, and you should tell others, and even tell ourselves this, dwell, think on these, the virtuous, the honest, the true. But if it's going to be gloom and doom, pain and suffering, and all of of that stuff in the world that is negative. You'll be depressed, down on the dumps, and discouraged. And you can rise above that, but you've got to plant the, right, the right trees. 
He even says, it'll be praiseworthy. So, as we get close to the conclusion of chapter 6 in Luke, this application is not about inspecting your fruit, my fruit, what's going on in my life, and what do I want. I can plant pie cherries. They're going to be tart. Nothing wrong with tart cherries. You like pie. On the other hand, I've eaten pie cherries off the tree. They'll turn your face inside out. So a lot of bing cherries. Because they're sweet and they're good. Good for you in many ways. What do you want? Happy? Plant the happy things. Plant the things of God's Word in your life. It's good to see you this morning. Glad to be here. And one day maybe you'll get to come to Alaska. And Alaska is good about bragging about the sunshine and the great fishing. And let me remind you, there's another side to that. But it's we're not up here for the fishing. And we're not up here for the good weather. We're up there to encourage other people to instill the qualities that bring about the good fruit trees.